Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the editorial trio from the Hotel Analyst team come together to give you news and views, uh, picking our way through the most relevant stories of the previous week. Around the desk of insight, as normal, we have Andrew Sankster, our editorial director. We have Catherine Dogrell, who is the perspectives editor, and I'm Chris Bowne. I am the web, web editor and producer dailies uh, for our subscribers. Now, we're based in the UK. We cover the global hotel market, particularly from the investment standpoint. And our first story this week, before we head off around the world, is to talk about uh, yield compression in the UK. It's a kind of counterintuitive thing that's going on at the moment, isn't it, Catherine? Oh, very much so. So we're in that exciting point of the cycle where um, nobody's willing to talk about where we are in the cycle except that things are looking a bit tricky but they're not if you're buying or selling hotels um, so lots of buying lots of selling but performance maybe not what you could hope uh, April looking a little bit difficult the regions looking a little bit tense but still great deal of enthusiasm none of this is particularly good news for yields um, but none of it has put anyone off from buying stuff and there obviously are an exciting array of reasons why that is an increased number of investors as we know coming into the market um, it's looking a lot more mainstream the retail sector is not so good at the moment so if you want to buy stuff that people from the public are inclined to go into and spend their money at uh, hotels really where it's still at at this point and um, we continue to move towards we think a tipping point at some point but this hasn't really been the cycle for tipping points we seem to have avoided them all so far so where will we go at the moment if you're buying and selling hotels it's all good but don't expect to make any money off them it, it is a, indeed a weird cycle um so normally what has happened um in a cycle uh we, where we see hotels we see uh, net operating income go up we see investor sentiment improve and the classic valuation piece is that um, it's a function of net operating income and you just do a multiple thereof to get to capitalize that up and, and get the value of a hotel and as investor sentiment improves their attitudes um, towards the sector get more positive and they're, they're willing to pay um, a little bit more for those assets and yields compress as a result of that then when net operating income turns negative they start getting a bit jumpy they become more negative and their appetite declines and yields move out um, we're seeing the opposite happening so net operating income is currently declining and this is true actually for much of Europe as well um, but yields are continuing to compress so something odd is happening um, and the question is, what is it that's causing yields to go down when not net operating income is also going down? Um, and I would say there's a number of things going on. Firstly, if you look at the actual overall return to owners, um, it's not as bad as if you're just looking at the NOI numbers, it would at first seem, because actually the cost of debt is so super, super low, the return to owners is still pretty good. That still looks a pretty attractive investment. And although uh, base rates have sort of done nothing over the last decade just stayed at their almighty lows um, the actual overall cost of debt has continued to slightly decrease um, so from an owner's perspective things are actually 
looking not too bad even with this declining net operating income but there's a bunch of other stuff going on in the wider macro market which is encouraging hotels to move up um, and see hotels look more attractive than um, other asset classes and Catherine's already talked about retail and certainly there's an almighty mess going on in retail and so for the first time in my career I'm seeing uh, um, prime yields in retail above um, yields in hotels um, and this is an astonishing development and just shows just what a shift we've had but equally you know there's a few question marks against offices the growth of co-working um, the growth of of um, telecommuting that kind of stuff is putting a little bit of a question mark on on the need for space and people are evaluating the space and while industrial, the other of the three major um, commercial real estate asset classes is looking pretty good. Uh, you know, who knows where that's going with the advent of 3D printing as a negative, but there could also be a positive if we see some reshoring, onshoring as a result of the tariff wars and that kind of stuff. So there's a whole bunch of fluctuations happening in that in that marketplace. Allied to that, in in terms of that's the property market. Allied to that is this huge drive in terms of of looking for somewhere to stuff the money there's this wall of money out there and uh, uh, the world's uh, central banks are sitting on a huge amount of bonds so uh, I saw a Bloomberg report and they talked about just how much the world's central banks are sitting on it's it's more than a fifth of overall bonds in issue the equivalent that they hold on their balance sheets and it's about a quarter of the overall global equity market that central banks are sitting on um, so it's a phenomenal amount of money so if, if the central banks have sucked up all of that um, investors have got to go elsewhere if they would normally be a holder of the bonds that the central banks have been buying they've got to go elsewhere and find something else which is an income producing asset which they can hold and is secure and they've moved up the risk curve and uh, uh, income producing assets like hospitality are attractive if if you're prepared to to go up that that risk curve which increasingly we're seeing institutional investors do and we see more and more of them at that going on and it's a truly exciting time i think and it's a real hinge point a real turning point in hospitality i would say wider in terms of the operational real estate piece um it it, it, it has arrived and it, it is a change point in in the sector right and now we're going to move on to our next topic and uh, the online travel agent uh tripadvisor recently delivered its uh, latest quarterly figures and uh, shocked shocked us all by declaring it would see very little growth in the, the upcoming quarter Catherine, you've had a look at the reasons why that might be uh yes well i mean you can't hear uh, this because this is um radio or, or podcast or, or listening technology but it's i'm wearing my shocked face right now uh, yes another horrifying set of results from TripAdvisor, which can't seem to, um, let me think for the technical term, get it together. Uh, it's it's quite disturbing, but um, but it maintains a, a more enthusiastic buoyancy on the stock market, which we all suspect is because at some point Google is going to buy it. It still seems to be quite a nifty brand name, although selling points for TripAdvisor has always been, well, you know, we can't really seem to work out how to make money. But lots and lots of people come here, and um, that's got to be that's got to be good. It's got to be a good thing. Um, but not so many with the lots of people coming now. Um, average monthly unique users were five percent lower on the year. Um, this was attributed to ch- 
changes in their hotel marketing optimization. They are, as ever, reworking the site to make it work better, um, which always seems to make it work not quite so well. They remain confident, looking forward, that um, at some point things are going to get better, and presumably that at some point Google will buy them. In the meantime, competition rises. Amazon is yet again trying to get back into the sector, this time by um, selling flights, offering flights in India, not selling them themselves, but offering them through a, a third party. Could go very interestingly. And um, Sea Trip, of course, still trying to make its way out of China and through into other areas. Skyscanner continues to be hugely successful, and um, business for Sea Trip itself through its trip brand is coming along absolute gangbusters. So, once again, Google, if you want to pick a bargain, the time is now approaching. Yeah, it's still not quite a bargain. I think it's got further to fall. <laughs> I'm sure it will. But I, 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 I th- yeah, no, I think it will because it's it's now broken that iron rule, which is you know, that, that nobody seems to care whether you make money in Silicon Valley. What they do care about is growth, and if you, just long as you keep growing, even if you're spending and losing money hand over fist in the pursuit of that growth as long as you are growing you're okay they've stopped growing and they're shrinking and that's oh dear that's super bad actually um and I think it, you know what this calls into question is the whole concept of wisdom of crowds and how effective um, wisdom of crowds is um, and can be. And I think there's a real failure here. And I think this speaks to a uh, to a failure to this this notion of um, we're going to abandon brands now and move to just let the public decide according to the ratings on what the best hotels are. I think the failure of TripAdvisor shows just how shaky that notion is and I think brands um, should look on the failure of TripAdvisor and be very reassured Um, because I I, I think whilst brands have their challenges I think TripAdvisor has had a number of issues and the the two things which have been first is is the fake reviews coming in from super aggressive industry participants so the hoteliers etc going out there and doing fake reviews um, and the other thing is the the, the over enthusiasm of angry customers so you know for every the, the, whatever the, the the jargon is about you know you have one angry customer um, they're going to make far more noise than 100 happy customers um, and that is certainly true and what's happened is that consumers are looking at these reviews and thinking oh dear I just don't trust them anymore and certainly that's the case when I look at Amazon which is sort of the, the, an equivalent meta search you look at the reviews uh, in Amazon for yeah, I know. I know. Well, if you're looking for some sort of gadgety thing, you think, well, does this actually do what the gadgety thing is supposed to do? And you oh. look down in. I, I, I know I'm no longer any the wiser when I look through the reviews because you've got a bunch of people um, doing dodgy ones, and then you've got some people who are just ranting, frothing at the mouth, saying it's a pile of rubbish. Don't bother with it. Um, which none of which actually help oh. me. Um, I, I need that. I need that neutral observer, and there isn't that neutral observer. So you need a way through that, and what brands offer is a way through that because you that gives you that reassurance that consistency thing all the things that a brands are supposed to do and in this world actually what what's even in this world of meta search of of, of these review sites brands are still vital and i think the failure of TripAdvisor just shows how important brands are, are and are, i actually going to argue that they're going to grow in importance um, from a consumer standpoint that's not to say that you know hoteliers shouldn't 
put some effort into TripAdvisor, but it's not the be-all and end-all, um, and it's just part of the package, and it's a question of balance. And I think, if anything, the balance now is shifting away from TripAdvisor and in terms of the overall brand-building piece. And I think this is only going to amplify the power of the, the, the big global majors again. Mm. Okay, and on that note, we're now going to shift our focus to have a look at uh, what's going on in the budget or economy hotel space uh, around different parts of the world. And I think we're going to start, Catherine, by having a chat about uh, or hearing a little bit about Huazu's recent results and what they're up to in China. Uh, yes, I mean, they're up to lots of things in China, um, focusing all over the place, uh, moving away from their economy routes up to the mid and upscale sector, but also continuing to look outside. They previously spoke about looking at Singapore. They now say that they're talking about multiple countries, um, which was terribly exciting, obviously. Um, and you can tell that they're a, they're a proper real grown-up uh, company now, A, because they have absolutely stacks of hotels, um, B, because they have their own soft brand, and uh, which is always a sign, and C, because the CEO was very eager to talk about how unfrightened they were about Oyo, which is always a sign. Um, she's not terrified by them at all, so good. Um, at the same time, um, we learn that Accor is possibly buying a stake in Trebo, the, and this is the bit where I have to speak more slowly and carefully, and um, you all might need to take notes. Accor is taking a, possibly taking a, take, taking a stake in Trebo, uh, which of course is the very much smaller rival to Oyo. Now, so far so fun gives Accor um, another tiny tiny economy brand to possibly work with and also we all remember that Accor has, has a stake in Wazoo and likewise um, which gives Sebastian Bazan a place on the Wazoo board. Now <laughs> uh, Wazoo also has a stake in Oyo so if it goes wrong with Trebo and they become by, consumed by Oyo, um, Bazan has somewhere where he can flog Trebo and also will also have a kind of a, a partner friendly happiness with Oyo. So all of everything, everything about this deal is everything you could possibly like and every way that you could possibly wish to spend 50 million. Um, so to conclude, tiny, tiny economy brands, they're everywhere and it's all working out for Apple. I think there's a joke in there somewhere about Wazoo, but uh, I'm, it's a family <laughs> podcast. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make it. Um, I, I want to talk a bit wider because uh, the other bit of news in the economy sector was about BNB um, and that they're going to be sold yet again to uh, yet another private equity outfit, Goldman Sachs, this time around or a bit of Goldman Sachs. Um, so I think, if I've been counting correctly, this is the fourth private equity owner of BNB. Now, uh, I, what's interesting about this, I think, is, is, is in terms of the valuation it puts on, you know, what a, an outfit, a leasehold outfit like BNB is worth. So according to Morgan Stanley, they reckon it's almost 15 times multiple on the trailing EBITDA. And um, if you look at a a uh, company like Whitbread, um, its its valuation is currently just under 11 times. Um, so it would suggest that Whitbread is somewhat undervalued, uh, which is kind of good news for Whitbread's share price, but it's um, also bad news if Whitbread are out in the market trying to buy stuff because uh, it's going to have to pay more than its own paper is currently worth, which makes it quite challenging. And the question, of course, is why isn't Whitbread out in the market trying to buy B&B? &B? Why aren't they in this auction? Why aren't they trying to do that? Why aren't they trying to buy Scandic? 
Uh, why aren't they trying to buy the other bits and bobs which are floating around Germany in particular? There's bits of Steigenberger which they might want to have a have a look at or other Deutsche Hospitality sub-brands which they might want to have a look at. Why aren't they talking to them? Why aren't they trying to do this? Um, it, it's disappointing to see that Whitbread aren't in the mix in terms of this because I think B&B would be not a bad fit um, and Scandic wouldn't be a bad fit. Come on Whitbread. Get out your checkbook. On that note, thank you very much. Speak to you next week.